brought to you by the Rugby Outlet Mall, equipping you for freedom and connection through rugby. Find out more at RugbyOutletMall.com. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another great episode of Grow Rugby. My name is Gift Gift Time Ebelu, and this is the podcast where we talk to people about the opportunities they found, they created, interacted, or just all around wanted to share about via rugby. We have a great guest coming on for you today, coming out of Jesuit High School, one of the coaches for Jesuit High School, actually head coach, for Jesuit High School out of Texas uh, in the Dallas area, my guy, Matt Upton, uh, old New Orleans rugby rival and uh, longtime friend, uh, came on the show. We're just breaking down. This was a fun one. This was another really fun one for me, and I, I think this was probably one of the more lighthearted ones, while it was also something a bit of a trip down memory lane because – uh, when he started playing, when he was playing, was right when I started. And I, I live in Baton Rouge, New Orleans, rival cities. But uh, for a long time, uh, the uh, the competition was very uneven in the outcome in New Orleans' favor. So it was good kind of being able to go down that, that look and that memory and just get those old feels and even just get a little bit more background because his starting time was – far further back than mine was so uh it, it was nice kind of seeing things from a different perspective and a different reality and uh just kind of being able to get some context of some of the actions that had been going on um but that we you know had still in a shared behavior so i i really enjoyed this one uh, and i hope you guys do too uh it's 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 you know we have another wild week let you guys know now we're going to still i'm going to be heading into brazil but um we're still gonna have the show uh we still got episodes to drop so don't worry uh all i will say is the intros might be a little bit different um might not be as related to the moment but i think it you, you regardless you'll still be interested we got great guests we got even great guests coming up man like Yo, this has been good stuff so far. Like, I'm genuinely enjoying talking to people. I genuinely enjoy that you guys always come back and take a listen and, and, and just give any time to this because um, it, it really is something to be able to get the stories of rugby people and what they've been doing and, and really how they impact the game because I think more and more, and especially over this 2020, we have kind of seen this I'm not going to say a shift, but it's going to be kind of a revelation. And, uh, you know, there's as as much as we want to, you know, we, we praise rugby for what it has to offer. You know, we also have a chance to be able to reveal its flaws. And as a result of revealing it, we get to be able to work on them and only get stronger. Um, and, and to know that to some instance, it's, it seems to be something that is resonant across the world, I think also helps a lot. Uh, I just recently watched this video on BT Sports that featured uh, Maru Toji um, and a couple other British uh, rugby players. Uh, and they were basically talking about culture issues that they've had growing up and, and dealing with it. And, and one of the things that were really interesting about it was um, – when one of the guys, he was like, I don't, I don't know if I think that racial issue is as much the issue with rugby as it is a class issue. 
And but a lot of the same things kind of resonate between the two. And uh, Maro Toji, I think, I believe he said, you know, rugby will continue to get better and, and it has all the culture pieces that it needs. You just need to be able to take the elite out of rugby. And it's something that you kind of see resonating through the history of this sport. But that's why I say it's in a good way. As much as the history of this sport has been based around a class system, we know this with the advent of rugby league, uh, poor rugby players who wanted to make money uh, playing this game they loved uh, were restricted from it from the IRB, the original IRB and rugby union, and they said they only wanted amateurism. And so we created a, a, a fission in that, a fissure between those two. Uh, we saw this is the rise of soccer in South America and a lot of these other uh, major soccer countries. It was soccer was the sport that the people played, and you still had rugby as a sport that the uh, wealthy elite played. You, see, you saw that happen with American football uh, and even Aussie rules uh, football, and actually to more extent uh, cricket in terms of uh, Australians. So whenever you have rugby, you know, rugby didn't get professionalized until 95. And I think that always stands. And so you kind of find out that this sport that has been kind of actively playing against itself to favor its classism issues, uh, finally, you know, breaking away from it only 20, what, 26 years ago, 25, 26 years ago is now trying to now set itself up so that it can be much more inclusive, which is what we always preach. And that's what we want to be able to resonate. And these conversations, these moments that we're having now is allowing us to be able to have that full resonating situation, that full impactful situation of being all inclusive and being making sure that we are working at a widespread that's from as much as a racial and cultural issue to a sexual and identity, sexual and identity issue, just making sure that these elements get impacted because clearly the sport has all, all the elements needed to get uh, to the next level and should be a top three, top four sport in the world with ease. And I'm talking about consistent across nations. Um, but it's, it's working there. So I'm glad we're having these conversations now because it allows us to be able to truly resonate in the culture so that we can also be able to just be like, Hey, I'm having fun playing rugby and there's, there's none of the, the back end, and we know we're getting the best and all that. So it, as going off of that, I'll be honest, this podcast probably will not, this interview will have nothing to do with the, what we just talked about, but uh, I felt it was important to say, and I, I thought it was really good um, considering everything that's been going on. So, uh, you know, you guys you guys will be able to enjoy this. But in the meantime, guys, uh, go check out Rugby Outlet Mall. We are getting ready to set out a new launch of products in the next month and a half, two months. So go ahead and go use the promo code Grow Rugby, G R E A U X Rugby, for 20% off all uh, Rugby Outlet Mall exclusive stuff. That's under Gift Time Rugby Network and under HBCU Rugby Classic. 
Uh, also, guys, it's not just about gear over at the Rugby Outlet Mall. We are setting up for culture altogether. That is books and movies included and, and things to help you be able to go from community to community so that you can be able to uh, properly traverse through all these rugby uh, uh, concepts and v- culture versions that you get to have because it allows us to be able to be better as people, better as players, better as a community. So go check out RugbyOutletMall.com. You guys go see what you can. Check out the movies. Hit it up. It helps us. It helps us be able to do even more. And more importantly, it allows us to set up a future where we can make it viable for other clubs or parties to be able to do the most. And then lastly, uh, please go check out the documentary Singapore to Tokyo any way we can. It's the seven-part, 20-minute episode series where we travel from Singapore, uh, Singapore, Singapore to Tokyo, Japan for the 2019 Rugby World Cup. It is an adventure. It'll make you go back and wish that you could travel again despite this COVID situation. It'll get you excited about the Olympics for next year because a look in Japan is just absolutely amazing. And what they did with the Rugby World Cup is unreal. So, guys, check it out. You guys can go to redearthfilms.com vhx.tv that's redearthfilms.vhx.tv and lastly please don't forget to put a rating on uh, apple itunes um and let us know what you think you know throw us a message it gives us an idea of what to be able to work with gives me an idea of how you guys are resonating with it i appreciate all the listens that you guys have been providing and of course uh, you can check out full video episodes on our YouTube page, youtube.com slash gifttimerugby. Um, so, Rugby Network, youtube.com slash gifttimerugbynetwork. And uh, you guys can see that and more and everything that we're doing within the Gift Time Rugby and Elements. And, of course, Instagram, follow us on Instagram at Grow Rugby Podcast. It's IG page at Grow Rugby Podcast. And you guys can follow and we'll start being able to let you know who we have coming up and giving the schedule on what is coming down the pipeline. So uh, I'm really excited for this. I'm excited for this new holiday season. I hope you guys are going to continue to stay safe and healthy. But finally, I'll let you guys go. Guys, check this out. Matt Upton of Jesuit High School Rugby out of Dallas. New Orleans rugby. Welcome everybody to another great episode of Grow Rugby. My name is Gift Gift Tommy Bailey, and I got another VIP of P people. I know I say it multiple times, but this one is worth the redundancy. He's the person of person of persons. Uh, old rival of mine, but good friend, Matt Upton of Jesuit Rugby. But really, I go of NOLA Rugby because that's where I legitimately know. This whole Dallas thing is, you know, I'll accept it, even though it's been like almost half a decade. It's been like three years, right? Uh, I moved in 2015, so we're almost it's been half a decade. Damn Yo, straight. That's wild. 
It's been a while. Remember, we played against each other in 2010. Wrap your brain around that. That's, dude, bro, that's what I'm saying. It's the solid decade. Solid. You guys, I think you were the second team. No, no. The first team I ever played against. It was, it was uh, that week. It was actually 09-ish. Yeah. 09-ish. Whenever it was the first one that I, we, we played against each other, and I was literally the first game. And, you know, you guys happen to beat us as Ben Rouge. We're, we're pretty good. We were pretty good back then. But, I, yeah, I moved, uh, I moved to New Orleans uh, two years after the storm. It was almost to the day. I think really? I moved, like, August. Yeah, I think I moved August, like, 10th of, of uh, 2007. Yeah, so it was – I mean, it was almost exactly two years. I mean, we were the only house on our street that, we're, that we were occupying in Lakeview. Bruh. Like, see, I, I feel like that was – then it's – I'm going to blame you for the reason why Gustav hit Baton Rouge. So, <laughs> like, exactly. Literally in that <laughs> I was standing on the Gulf Coast just <laughs> – Butterfly in effect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, but no, man, it's, it's, been, it's been a nice – it's been a nice history, though. Like, I just do say, though, I, I do miss you, man. I miss you here in, out here in Louisiana. I hey I, I miss it too. I don't know if my waistline misses it, but I definitely miss being out there. Me, my wife and I love it out there. We we can't wait to get back. Look, I, I, as I always tell people, you know, health is overrated. Go ahead. And <laughs> exactly. It's not how many years you get; it's how you live those years. How you live the years. <laughs> exactly. Well, look. Let me let me start this off like I do with everyone, because it's always about the origin story of the superhero. And, uh, you know, for you, you know, look, like, I always like to know, like, how'd you end up getting started with rugby just off the bat? Um, so I played, well, I was lucky. So Jesuit, uh, I went to Jesuit here in Dallas, where I coach and teach now. And we, they had a club. Let's see, I, I got, I got to Jesuit in 98. Um, and they started the club probably a year before that. And so for two years, they were just a club sport. And I think they just had enough people. Like we had 20, 25 guys and they pretty much just kept pestering, um, kept pestering the athletic director and they just kept pestering them and pestering them and pestering them. So the Reds were hosting a team from Toronto um, and they said, okay, well, one of our rules is if we're going to have varsity status, we're going to have to hire a full-time coach. So they hired a coach, and he was my PE coach. So the rule at Jesuit was you didn't have to do PE as long as you were in a sport. So I was doing football, and I was doing wrestling, and then I had about three months at the end of the year where I didn't uh, – I had to do PE. And he just happened to be my PE coach. He was like, you really hate PE, don't you? And I was like, this is the biggest waste of my time ever. All this multi-sport like, athleticism yeah. is just being wasted on Yeah, this is, you know, I'm getting sweaty in the middle of the day. You know, this is not, this is not what I wanted. So then he just kind of said, uh, do you like to carry the ball? And it's like, uh, yeah, I'm an offensive lineman. I love to carry the ball. And he is like, well, you don't have to go to PE and you get to carry the ball if you come out to rugby. And I was like, done. And so I think it was like two weeks later I, I signed up and then little did I know it would be here. The roller coaster that would go from there. Yeah. So wait, so when was this? This is what, 2000, 2001? This was right in 99, 2000. 99, so this, 2000? Yeah. That's impressive that considering at that point in time that Jesuit was willing enough to put money into a youth rugby program. Uh, and that's, you know, as we know, 
like rugby's only starting to, especially in the states, is only starting to like get its blossom. And let's even be honest, from a global standpoint, that post '95 era is whenever it's really started to even open up. So you're talking about four years in, four or five years in, is just getting its its movement. Oh yeah, I still had to you know I had to wake up at four in the morning and you know in between cricket games there'd be rugby on like you know Fox Soccer Channel uh, on the old box just on the old box you gotta yeah. get the right satellite channels yeah <laughs> exactly that's exactly what it was it was nuts but yeah no it was um, you know it was so that was yeah because it wasn't too long after that was the USA played South Africa in uh, in Houston and so that was really our first kind of look at what it was like. That outside was, uh, of our little bubble. That was 2002, 2003? Uh, before that. So it would have been probably either 2000, 2001, or 2001, 2002. Probably okay. in those summers. But it was, uh, yeah, I mean, that was, that was unreal to see it. Because, I mean, even at that time, you know, it's nothing like it is now. There wasn't ESPN Plus. There wasn't, um, I mean, there was like Super League. ESPN didn't even really care. <laughs> no. Yeah, I mean, they didn't care about anybody's rugby. Right. You know? And it was, so, um, you know, we got the World Cup like on tape delay. Uh, so, I mean, it was... It was a totally different world, but it was great to see, you know, the South Africans traveled, you know, they traveled really well, you know, right. to come just to Houston, Texas. Man. And like, even for that, for as a, as a kid, and especially coming to off the fact that you had, everybody knows it's Texas. So football is life out there and you're in Dallas. So that's even just skyrocketed. You're still in the, the golden eras of the Cowboys and people actually thinking they're good. And <laughs> <laughs> I, I convert. I coach with a Dallas Cowboy that won two Super Bowls, and I still give him a good hoot at all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I, he brought his Super Bowl rings once, and I was like, "Where'd you get those out of a Cracker Jack box? How many right. box tops did you have to collect for that?" Unbelievable. You know, you know, just just like, oh, you 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 guys did things before. I I, I can't yeah. even remember. It's it's so far the the senility yeah. is kicking in for me. <laughs> you can't you can't figure out free agency, but you know when everybody has to stick around, you can form a pretty good team. <laughs> so like even even in that element, like even for your parents, like what was it did it mean for your parents to be able to have you playing rugby at, on top of what you were already doing for football? Uh, they didn't really care. They, you know, cause I'd already done, I'd started wrestling. So, you know, they were used to me doing a sport that they had never seen before. And mm-hmm. to them, they were just kind of, you know, they were like, okay, yeah, whatever. Like, you know, just don't get hurt. Cause you know, football at that time, we were still thinking maybe scholarships and, and things like that. And I was still getting recruited for football. So it was kind of like, or in wrestling. So they were kind of like, you know, just don't get hurt. You know, you're having fun. Cause it was, it's different than what it is today. You know, it's, I, I would have never specialized in a sport. I don't think my parents would have let me, you know, like when football was over, football was over, you know, do your all season workouts, stuff like that. But it, um, uh, so then I think within my first year, I like reserved for the Texas select side. And then my second year, I think that's when the, the USA game was. And I, we played Texas selects versus Oklahoma selects uh, as the curtain raiser. Yeah. And then we, and then I really started traveling. And that's when they started realizing, oh, wait a second. Like, you this. You can really do something with this. Yeah. They, they, the thing they didn't like about it was that if I was going to do anything with it, all roads pointed to like leaving home. So they were right. like, okay, uh, wait a second. Yeah. Like, so they, you know, you're not going to go somewhere where like I can't just, I have to see you. We like, we, we, we're, are we going to have to go out of our way to come, come get you? Yeah. Like? <laughs> That's exactly what it was. It was, you know, mom, you know, mom's got a radius and that's, that's the radius you're allowed to be in. <laughs> oh, 
No, that, that's real. Like, I, and I can, because literally you were already trying. It's not even just like a pathway pointed. Literally, you were already making your way away from home. Like, in terms yeah. of do these travel select sides and whatnot. Yeah, doing travel select sides. Um, and then USA U19 happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, you know, that was traveling again. And then seeing the players that I was playing with, especially when we got to like USA Select and when we did, um, when they used to do the ITTs, we got second place. And playing against those California kids, and I mean, they were just like, "Whoa!" Like, there's, <clears throat> you know, there's real people out there that play this game. Because they, you know, Texas, it was still, I would argue to say, at that point in time, high school rugby in Texas, even though it was in its infancy, was bigger than the men's league. Yeah, I mean, like the Reds, the Reds were there. The Quins were in MLR or not MLR, not MLR. Super <laughs> yeah. Super League, that that semi yeah. whatever, whatever. Yeah, the Quins were in Super League, so they were bringing over a bunch of South Africans that didn't really stick around, and we didn't live in that neighborhood, so we never right. got to see them. Um, you know, I Austin Area High School was a good team, and they fed into what is now the Austin Blacks. Um, mm-hmm. You know, nobody had really heard of the Huns. The Blacks hadn't done anything yet. Um, you know, Houston hadn't really done anything. Uh, and I think even going back, I mean, like, really – over the last at that that was the kind of the last time when i think this part of the country you know arizona texas oklahoma louisiana where we had rugby we just weren't really out in the open and then we just Which, kind of you know in the last 10 20 years it's been a totally different thing well i was gonna say it seems to be that's always been the mantra like it's you don't know there's rugby until you enter rugby then once you enter it you're like i don't know how i ever missed it oh yeah i tell my kids when they're making their college decisions and they're like, okay, well, I want to go to school with rugby. And I said, okay, it's going to be easier for you to find schools that don't have rugby. Like there are less schools that don't have rugby than schools. Right. That do. Like, you know, there's, they're like, how many programs do they are? I go, well, let's see, there's 350 division one basketball. So I'm going to say at least that many, like right. there's, they're everywhere. I go, it's just a level. It's just, you have to decide what level of commitment you want, you know, to, to play. Do you want it to be more of a club for fun to stay in shape and make friends and travel? Or do you want to, you know, get competitive? So, like, for you, then what was the motivation that kept you going? Because, obviously, as you, as you mentioned, you went from being able to play, <clears throat> starting to play uh, uh, with the high school side, getting to the select side, playing for the USA U19, and now being able to go to these specific, uh, uh, again, select tournaments that had you competing against these states. But for you, obviously, again, you said you were already working on scholarships for football, what transferred over for you? I ended up picking a school. It was the only school that I couldn't, I couldn't really decide what I wanted to do. So it was the only school that offered me both football and wrestling and kind of gave me free reign to do both. And I'll name the school in a second because they didn't have rugby at the time and they do now. Um, They didn't even have a fraternity on campus at the time. Um, So they offered me um, on the spot, you know, um, I think Army was going to come watch me for football, and if they would have offered me, I would have gone to play football there mm. uh, and probably would have played rugby. A good friend of mine from Houston played rugby there. Nice. Um, so good rugby then, up there, too. Good rugby at West Point. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and he, I think he, he only got deployed, like, once, if that, and he didn't do anything because he was in, the, uh, he was in like, the, the high-caliber athletic, you know, like, thing for a while. But they um, – so I would have gone there. Um, or And then none of the – you know, a few schools offered me walk-ons, and I didn't want to walk on. Um, so I picked the one school, uh, that offered me both and I did both and hated the school and right. I was traveling back and forth from Oklahoma, uh, 
so I was going from, and this, I was at Lindenwood, so that was the school. Right. Didn't have rugby at the time. <laughs> yeah, oh, now. How the tables have turned. Yeah, now, <laughs> I remember sitting in my dorm being like, I, you know, we could play rugby here. And lo and behold, now <laughs> they've become this team. They, they were just, they did it out of spite for you, Upton. They did it, it out really of spite was. for you. It was like right after I moved to New Orleans and they, they kind of brought over a bunch of Kiwis. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. But you know what? For what it's worth, I can – look, take away the rugby because I do. Like Josh Macy and and, and, and uh, um, oh, my goodness. Why am I forgetting names? But my, my guys over there at, uh, at, uh, at Lindenwood, you know, like they, you know, they, they do great. And Lindenwood as a rugby school is amazing. Man, as a as a town and being in a place, man, that is the middle of nowhere. St. Charles, crazy. Missouri. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, think, I think one of my favorite memories of going up there was to uh, was to go broadcast one of the games. And this was in the spring. And it freaking snowed, like, in the middle. I'm like, yo, what is happening right now? Like, I lived... You were probably there after this. I lived in the dorm. So the first dorm that was built with an elevator was built right before I got there. I lived in the first men's dorm because, and it used to be a women's dorm because it used to be a women's only school. And then it oh, was for Native. <clears throat> it was women's only, and then it was Native Americans only. Um, and I lived with Billy Nicholas as well. I was thinking of too. I don't know. Why I forgot Billy. Yeah, Nicholas, and anyway. I so I my dorm at the time when it was first built did not have central air or central heating. Right. So, and I lived in the basement and the basement was meant to heat the entire building. So at one day there were six inches of snow. Uh, my heater's on, we are sweating. Uh, I have a window open blowing in air there's from outside. There's six inches of snow on the ground and I'm sweating in my room. And while people are freezing up in the top, cause they just hadn't, it was, it was a wonderful experience. I'm starting to see, uh, you know, there might, there might have been some evidence <laughs> as to why you hated going to this school. <laughs> yeah, it was a wonderful – I mean, and it, it was weird. It was like I was never an academic superstar, but I walked in there and some of those academics, I was like, this is a joke. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> and so for undisclosed reasons, confidential reasons, I was going back and forth to Oklahoma every weekend uh, to OU. So I would I, – my so what last was her name? class <laughs> – my wife says, <laughs> <laughs> my wife has a certain name that she calls anybody I used to date. Uh, so I, I, I used to get in the car. So Friday, my last class was at 2.30. I used to get in the car at 3.30. And, uh, and I'd be like, all right, I'm gone. So that's eight hours to Norman. And so then Dude. what happened was uh, I showed up for unknowingly. Or I know I did. I started talking to them. Cause I knew I kind of want to transfer mom had talked about going to OU uh, anyway right. from the beginning. And, uh, and I had been talking to them. And so I showed up one weekend and it happened to be bedlam. So it was OU versus Oklahoma state at, at Norman. And right. I just saw the people on the berm and the crowd. And then we all went to the clubhouse afterwards and I was just like, yep, this is the one. And so I, I transferred in, uh, I think the next semester. I mean, that's fair. That's fair. And to a good program and created this, this obsession with this overrated school, but <laughs> I mean, we're the winningest programs since World War II. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, yeah, winningest programs. Yes, yes, yes. 
I get it. You're, you have a recent one. I remember our third national championship too. It would just happen to be in 1956. <laughs> I, I see you. I see you. Yeah. <laughs> And you got but you what, know what? Second... you know what this was this was before this was before we were uh, 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 fully getting getting everybody in so you know this 1956 you know do we really even count anything before 1965 like I mean like what do you have you have six you, have, you know what your second Heisman <laughs> Well that? look again whenever you decide not to have to worry about playing defense it's very easy for your quarterbacks to get these as you know, LSU found out this year what do you need deep? Look, LSU stopped caring about defense. What happened? They won a national championship. You're welcome. Well, I just, I just want to be remembered for all those times, those, what, the last two Heisman Trophy winners from OU, how they did against LSU and those SEC. Sorry, Ooh, I, can't, White. I, can't, I can't hear you over these $25 million contracts. It's just, <laughs> let, you know, let's wait and see what Joe Burrow does. <laughs> Yeah, you know, he seems like a real class character. Oh, hey, look, 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 man. At least he'll probably be on the field longer than Sam Bradford could be at any one. <laughs> Sam Bradford cashed a $65 million check. He can do it every once. <laughs> that's, that's, I mean. I will give you that. Poor guy. I'll give you that. He is the second greatest scam artist for NFL. Ever. Only Ever. behind Matt Flynn to be able to do it through multiple teams on layer yeah. <laughs> yeah, Matt Flynn has cheeky Super Bowls. <laughs> like, if you do you know how many Super Bowls he has? He could have five. We have no idea. We have no idea. I know he has one because he backed up the Packers for their one. But still, he could have another four. I don't know. <laughs> Point is, hey, look, you know, it all works out. It all works out. But yes. <laughs> I, I'd be talking football on this rugby podcast. But this is what we do, all right? This is what so, we do. <laughs> Let me, let me, I'll get you back right. So do you remember this? Do you might remember this? So then back then, the difference between rugby, I don't know what rugby's like now in college. Back then, we traveled every weekend, and I loved it. So right. like we would go to Albuquerque High Desert Tournament. Uh, Little Rock had their, their old tournament that was there. Right. And then what that led to is we'd go to Rugger Fest every year. So then what I used to do when I was at OU, <clears throat> excuse me, is within like the summertime, so we would take finals, we would hang out for a week in Norman, which, if you can imagine, small, you know, small town when school lets out. And we would kind of, I guess, I don't know if we'd realize it sucked. And then we would hop in the car and drive to Aspen, and we would play for the gentlemen of Aspen throughout the summer in the, the little league they have for the Valley. Yeah. And then drive back to OU, and, you know, fall practice started probably like two weeks later. <laughs> well, I mean, look, it's, it's, look, for what it's worth, one – Great bonding experience, and two, I mean, you're in Colorado. Like, what can you say against that? And just be able to just fully enjoy. It. And then Aspen was like a really good team at that point too, like a solid what D two. Yeah, at that point they were at that point they were D two, and those those guys that I played with. So that was oh five through oh seven. Those guys yeah. that were there with me in oh seven uh, that summer, they ended up staying in Aspen, and I think they won the D one that national championship in 08 or 09 and they won two sevens national championships 
and, and so it was then 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 they kind of all moved back to like tulsa and stuff and, and they uh <laughs> and they, like, they all left they're like we're done with the we're done with the mountain well, there we're and that, that used to be well like one of them was he was making a ton of money but he was uh literally just parking cars for a, a hotel yeah. <laughs> was uh but it was they hey, um, money counts all that matters i'm telling you they they could afford to go where they needed to go, but that's that was always kind of Aspen's mantra for a long time. Like when they were in the old Super League, that's you know all these guys were flying from Fiji and New Zealand. They'd play in our season and then go home and play in their season at home. Yeah. So that was that was kind of their thing. So I mean, and then again, it's one of those situations where it's do you consider that as a, a situation that might have even hurt it a little bit, but also because you guys got to interact. So you guys also get this like added bonus without any of the pressure of having to like perform. I think it hurt it, but they, they kind of built around it. So they understood at the very beginning that, that the Super League season was not the season. So what they did kind of what New Orleans is doing, I guess, kind of right now <clears throat> with, um, with their MLR team is that they understood that the Super League was a totally different beast. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason that they kept that summer league in the Valley uh, where like Aspen plays Vale and Steamboat Springs and stuff like that. The reason they kept that league and they kept it as a 15s league that happens outside of sevens was because that was their traditional league. Right. So for that's when like the hometown guys, you know, would, uh, would come in. But I mean, they led to, I mean, Alec, I think it was Alec Parker. Like he's, you know, he second rode for like 40 or 50 caps and, you know, he's born and raised in Aspen. And um, so a lot of those guys, but you know, you say that, did it hurt it? Yes and no. There's a yeah. you know the pitch is in the middle of the field. I mean, the, I mean the pitch in the middle. The pitch is in the middle of town. I mean, it's the center of the town out there, and right. that's because of those guys. But it's, um, but yeah, I think that's why maybe that's part of the reason why they're D two right now. Yeah. I mean, and it's easier money wise. You know, you need a backer, and and to, especially to be in Colorado, you need a backer to to kind of play in that league where you're it's going to California. It's yeah. area like that. Yeah. Oh yeah, but I mean, we never we never had to travel that much. When we were there. I mean, nowhere near. I think one year we did the math. I think it was 2011 when we won the D2 championship in New Orleans, and it was uh, we had traveled like 5,000 and like 700 miles. We were the most traveled team in the world outside of uh, teams that had to leave different countries to play in their league. So outside of like South Africa, yeah, it was that's nuts. wild. But, I mean, it makes sense. Again, like, I feel like that's a plight of being in the South, Southeast, South, Southeast, Southwest, per se, is because there's, while there's a lot of teams, there's a good number of teams, but everybody is so sparsed out. I was, I was laughing at my Northeast friends because I'm like, you'll go up there and everything is a four-hour radius, and everybody's talking about a 30-minute drive is a long drive, and I'm like, are you out of your mind? I'm like, this is a blink. What? <laughs> when we first moved up to D1, our closest drive was uh, six hours. That was our closest away game. That was, that was what, whenever uh, – what, up in Atlanta? Yeah, Old White and uh, yeah. and uh, the other – and the – what's the other – And uh, Renegades? Renegades. They were still D1 at the time. So, but, yeah, I mean, it's it was just – especially in the South, you know, we're so spread out. There's, there's a lot of rugby. We're so spread out that we kind of all have to stick together. Um and just kind of work that way. And I think that is one of the ways that, you know, MLR kind of helped um, was just because now, you know, New Orleans and Baton Rouge can still play, right. you know, as opposed to, you know, at that time, if we wanted a close game, if we wanted to go to D1, you know, we had to try to find a way to bring, you know, Jackson and Baton Rouge with us or, or there, or it wasn't going to happen. And there just wasn't, you know, if they didn't have the rosters or if they didn't have the guys, they're like, no, nah, we're good. 
So I'm, I'm gonna I'm, I want to go into this go into this the the club rugby life here. So okay. first off, what what brought you from Oklahoma? What ended up taking you from Oklahoma and then disappointing your parents to make you go all the way to New Orleans and skipping over Dallas completely? <laughs> How New why Orleans bring such sadness to your mother? <laughs> New Orleans New Orleans was in the radius. New Orleans is in the oh, radius. Really? What yeah. So I, eight, it was eight hours. It was eight hours. It was eight hours. She needed to be able to make the drive in one drive. So, uh, okay. And then, so what happened is my sophomore year in college, my mother moved to Miami for her job. And uh, so that kind of broke down everything. I was about to say, then, she got the radius on that one a bit too. Yeah. She, she didn't want me to go. She did talk about me transferring to University of Miami. And I was like, no. <laughs> uh, they, uh, but then they moved back to Austin because my sister lives in Austin. And then that kind of opened up the race again. So then I told her kind of at the time, she's like, so what are you thinking? And I was like, okay, I'm going to go to, you know, uh, I'm either going to go back to Colorado, uh, with all my buddies and go play in Aspen or play with Glendale. Right. And, uh, or I'm going to try to go overseas. I had some friends that, that had played for the London Scottish at the time. Um, or I'm going to, you know, just find somewhere else. And then Katrina happened and my dad's from New Orleans. Uh, so when Katrina happened, um, that kind of sealed the deal for me. And yeah. I had been going back and forth to New Orleans. We played LSU in New Orleans a couple times. And, uh, yeah. And then I had, I had, I had friends there. So once I started going there, I just kind of kept going. And I mean, so for me, it was just kind of like, okay, once Katrina happened, I saw kind of how much it affected everybody. And then it literally was just a couple emails and a buddy, you know, a buddy of mine that I ended up living with. You know, he said the house will be ready August, you know, 10th. And I was like, okay, I'll be there on the 12th. And just packed it up and I was there. I mean, my dad was, you know, ecstatic. Yeah. So. Yeah, he, 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 still had, he still had family that was still there to check in on you and whatever. But, you know, you still were. Oh, yeah. He had an excuse to, you know, go get a po' boy or, you know, get some shrimp. You know, he was ecstatic. He was really happy. I mean, had if I still live there, you know. He always told me, he's like, if something happens to your mother, I'm, I'm moving in with you. <laughs> oh, this is like, yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. It's nice to so, know yeah. I, I was trying to be my own man, but all right, I know yeah. that. <laughs> so, yeah, I, that's what, you know, and I did the standard thing. So, you know, I don't know how many of your listeners are in New Orleans area. So there is a lumber yard in New Orleans that pretty much takes in any new rugby player for the first six months. And like, oh, yeah, yeah, that was the key, you know, to kind of get anybody in club rugby. You know, if you wanted a college kid, it was, hey, I've got a job that will allow you to play rugby and get you some beer drink money. And that's essentially all that they wanted. It's like, it's not your career. You know, it's just going to do, get you it's going to move. Yeah. Something to get you going. Yeah. But we were still holding on to pipe dreams that we were going to play. You know, we didn't care about our career. Nowadays, I feel like kids are so you know, hell bent on, you know, growing up so fast. But back then it was just like, it was essentially like taking gap years. It was like, you know, whatever I'll, you know, I'll sleep on the couch. I don't care. Right. So yeah, I had that job set up. The house was set up and I was like, done. I'll be there. Nice. So, okay. So going into that experience. So you're, you're inside New Orleans. You have this, it's still a complete clusterfuck at that point. Like let's call it what yeah. it is. Like I, I remember 07. Well, so I just, I was, and I think I was just getting back. I didn't get back in, from Florida until 08, 09, but I, it was getting to be able to have that, being able to see everything whenever you'd come home and visit. And of course, Florida just getting, seemingly having to been bypassed by every hurricane that wanted to go over towards Louisiana. So you, you get there and, and what's the, 
what's the health? Because I've talked to guys like uh, like Shay, who uh, talked about how much they had to do during New Orleans, during the Katrina, and coming into that. So what was, like, the mindset that was going on for the New Orleans team at that time? Because from what I understood, that New Orleans team wasn't the same one that you guys started ended up getting into in 2009, 2010. That was one that was a little bit more struggling, at least according to the Baton Rouge guys where it was a little bit more of a, a competition of, between the two sides. Yeah, it was you, – <clears throat> you could say there was a mix. I mean, there was a lot of the uh, kind of, I guess, what we'd call them old boys now, guys that had been playing since maybe the earlier 2000s, mm-hmm. and that probably in a normal situation would have moved on to old boys, and they were kind of forced to be in starting positions and kind of be, uh, you know, kind of be in larger roles. The, the main – the terrible part of it was so you can imagine I think, you know, no traffic anywhere you went. Uh, there was nothing. There were only maybe, maybe a hundred thousand people in the city at the time, probably less in, in, in the city and all the surrounding suburbs. Um, and when you cross that bridge to get, you know, from the West bank over to the, to the East side, it was, uh, you know, you would regularly see Hummers, you know, the national guard was, still there. Uh, the light posts were down. They were on the ground. So we would change on the light post. Um, nobody had gone into like the changing rooms. Cause like we were just scared of what was going to be. <laughs> Who's going to be in there. And then what did they leave behind? Yeah. So we had a couple lights that were still up. So you had to move practice as it got later in the year, you had to move practice kind of closer to different lights, um, which just have to be closer. Like that little swamp that's there that just has mosquitoes the size of your fist. And uh, you know, it was kind of, patchy at times i would say like I, I don't think we went into a lot of games with a 23-man roster yeah. um you know but everybody had work you know everybody that was back had work um but the city wasn't i mean like i said we could walk out in our front yard and this was before fema trailers even got there so we could walk out in our front yard and look left and look right we were about a mile from where the levee broke and we could look left and look right and it was our house there was one house that looked weird six houses down to the right and that was it the only lights in the entire we went to parlays once rest <laughs> in peace parlays hashtag rebuild parlays uh if we went to parlays once and there's a certain player who's very small and has a small man syndrome and <laughs> he might may or may not have had too much to drink at a certain time and there were like 10 to one parlays like parlays was not whatever parlays turned into when I left and it was like college kids. It was, you know, you had to be 60 and you had to smoke three packs of cigarettes without thinking twice about like asking for a glass of water. So like I had special parlay clothes cause it would smell so bad. So we, he decided to come outside and he really had to go to the bathroom. And so he decided to pee on a car and it may or may not have been anyway we didn't have we didn't have police we didn't have police so the entire national guard came to almost arrest him Are you like serious? there's hummers hummers guys in you know camouflage like guns like real guns like it was it was nuts and i was like can i just walk home right now <laughs> let me let me let me let me uh you know i i'm just gonna walk away just just i'm just yeah. gonna go this way you guys are like, the entire United States military is telling this kid he's too drunk. Well, no, no crap. I don't. <laughs> it was nuts. Yeah. So that was New Orleans. I mean, that was it. Was 
it was it was it was awesome at the same time it was it was it was weird i mean that was the first year i think you know mardi gras came back and everything right it was like that weird that wild intensity that wild no no street cars they were still buried it was nice (laughs) driving without traffic i don't have to wait Uh, stupid things to keep like getting in my way or where they're gonna hit me from behind (laughs) you could get from the airport to our field in 10 minutes because oh. no one's going to catch you for speed and get you can just go 100 miles an hour down i-10 yo for those who don't know like retina where new orleans new orleans actual field is is what's called the west bank in gretna and then you have and it, the airport's not even in new orleans it's in metairie and we got to make sure we distinguish that properly all right but that is legitimately and i've had to time it because i've been late to many games at least <laughs> A 35-minute drive, a 25 to 30-minute drive to just get all the way over. And this was at the time whenever the stupid toll was there, too. So that always slowed you down. Like, it, was, it was, yeah, it's, it makes a New Orleans sandwich. New Orleans is in the middle. <laughs> but, I mean, even when I left, so then even when I left in, in 14 or 15, like, it's yeah. still, there's still houses boarded up. Like, so this yeah. was before the, they forced everybody to board up the windows. Um you know, so obviously working in a lumberyard was great because everybody needed wood. So work, it was right. awesome. Yeah, I had tons of work. I didn't have to worry about anything. No, I always say this. Like one of the big things that I feel like is going to always be the hindrance for the growth here in the U.S. is the fact that there is not a position of financial gain that can be had for new players. It's not even to say like, oh, we got to pay them big money like that. It's just like, yo, they just need something to be able to show a value support they can lean on and then just build up from there and it used to be obviously from small businesses from other rugby people but i I don't know if it's as that i feel like in this day and age there's just such a disparity when it comes to how small businesses are done that it doesn't always work in that same it can't work in that same way like it did in the smaller era the younger eras of rugby quote quote well i think it's a it's a twofold part um i think like if i uh I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw out a, a weird idea for Americans here. Okay. The Get fact that we have – I know. The fact that we have to have national champions, right? We're the only country in the world where there are eight divisions of some sport and everybody has their own national championship, right? right? So why would I want to move up? So that's kind of how I think it kind of works. And it's the same thing I'm kind of trying to, to do here, I think, in Texas, is that – you know, if everybody just takes care of their area. So imagine like the New Orleans rugby scene right now, there's like five teams, you know, in the New Orleans Baton Rouge kind of Southeast Louisiana, Mississippi area. Like there's, there's like five teams out. That's more teams than we probably ever had. Right. And, and if they all kind of filter into a team that does play in USA division two, which therefore then filters into a team that then plays in the MLR. So it's kind of like if, we're all kind of taking care of each other and, and growing the game and getting better players to go to the higher levels. And then if you find a way to financially support the higher teams, it, it kind of asks players to kind of to take it on themselves to move up to the next level or a team. So like with what I'm, what I think like in high school rugby, uh, you know, jamborees don't exist here in Texas. So, yeah. um, but like if, if we could play like almost tournament style and it's like, okay, if you get, if you get called up to D1, you get to host the tournament next year, one of the tournaments, and you get to keep all the revenue. 
Right. Yeah, I was like, yeah. And so that now incentivizes people to actually work because yeah. we, we're creating. But here's the kicker. I think the issue then goes back to people. Uh, again, the core issue is, and what we kind of talked about from the beginning, yo, people marketing out that rugby event outside of just the, the range of it. Now, I know in, with Jesuit, I, obviously there's a pretty strong alumni base, so it's probably a little bit easier. But I would say even for like a Baton Rouge, I still go to a Baton Rouge well, I haven't gone in a while, but the last time I went to a Baton Rouge club game, you know, it's basically the same people that you're going to see almost every single time. It's, it's going to be players, then the player's girlfriend, then one of the player's girlfriend's friend, and then kids, wives, and then that's basically it. And it might make up, what, about 20 people at best, 20, 30 people. And, uh, but the issue would be, like, nobody is talking about the game outside of this small range arena so i can also see that people would should see this as an incentive but then go like well the excuse is everything that i kind of just put we're not going to be able to get the people so what's the purpose for us to try and do it but i think that's that becomes the issue like yo you've got to be able to present that well i think what we've moved to here in texas which has been kind of interesting and the club scene hasn't done it so i don't know if that's gonna work but like think about it in that 10-year span I did this math the other day. So this is going to blow your mind when All people right. talk about where's the hotbed of rugby. Okay. And so for the longest time, people would say it's California, it's, you know, New York, it's Colorado. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. Now watch this. Okay. You ready for this? 2000, not, 2008, mm -hmm. I believe Tampa crew makes the sweet 16 for the first time. Right. Uh, or that was, would have been probably 2009 ish. 2010. They were, that was the year that they, that was right before the year that you guys played yeah. against them. Right. Two, well, 2010, they win the Division II National Championship. In 2011, it is New Orleans versus Tampa Crew. So, Division USA South teams are playing in the National Championship for Division II. Right. Uh, we win it. We go up to D1. We make the Sweet 16, and I think a South team still goes to the D2, like, Final Four. It was Life, right? Life and, and – Oh, yeah. So then – oh, yeah. And the year in 2011 when we win it, Life wins D1. Yeah. So then Life's going to the finals, Final Four every year. So you can just go ahead and say one team from the South is going to the Final Four every year. So then within the next couple of years, we go to the Sweet 16, but we win the D3 National Championship. Then uh, we go to D1 Final Four and get third. Life wins it that year. The next year, we play life for the national championship. Yep. So, and it's kind of like, so you're, you're seeing, and then the next, in the next couple of years, the Dallas Reds go to uh, two Final Fours. And yeah. then the Austin Blacks, Blacks, the next three years or four years, go to four national championship games. Right. And have played the Reds or some team from the South in the Final Four all those years. So it's kind of like, okay, so maybe there's something to this. Like maybe we've got some athletes. We got here. something here. But it, yeah, it, to be honest with you, and it, it, it I, 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 to be honest with you, I actually had noticed that too because I remember even writing an article I think back in 2015 uh, that was essentially, yo, rugby's rugby is ruled by the South because of those exact stats, and that was even to the effect of even the college one. And albeit it was because of life university primarily, but, but like, it was still like there was a team from the South in each championship. And then even for sevens, there was a team from the South that was at least in the final, in the final eight, or at least the final four, you know, in the elite eight or the final four. But what was always confusing to me was what was the factor that wasn't able to take it over the top in terms of 
recognition. And obviously, I think there's a little, there was a lot of bias just because of separation. You know, just the South is so far from everybody else. So, you know, and whenever the main hubs were Colorado, New York, and then, you know, upper, upper Los Angeles, lower San Francisco, that little middle ground over there. So, of course, the South doesn't get its due credit because life can't be the South. It's all foreign guys and whatnot. So throw that out of the water. And then, you know, people would say the same thing for the Reds and the Blacks. And even whenever it came to you guys, you guys, I think, were the ones that no one expected. And same with Tampa Crew. And then, of course, Tampa Crew kind of fell off right after that 2011. You guys somehow beat them into literal submission. <laughs> there were a couple of teams that we had. And that whole time, the USA South is playing in the uh, – NACRA. In, in, in NACRA, and they won it, and they were only the second United States team to win an IRB trophy in any IRB tournament. And didn't get really that much recognition out of that. Hell no. Right. <laughs> Hell no. Like, like, so for you, considering that, you know, I've noticed, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I didn't pass on the steady flex that you put there, but like the fact that you've been in these championship moments, uh, went from NACRA to, like I said, I see your flex. <laughs> <laughs> getting that NACRA, that NACRA uh, championship to getting the New Orleans one, like what was this constant resonance that you kept seeing and dealing with that you kept, like you guys kept growing? Because, again, New Orleans, I remember, was it just – not that you guys were garbage, but it was just like you were Baton Rouge, D2, we were the same page, and then you guys just started escalating, like, ridiculously, and it kind of even pushed over into NACRA. Well, it was – it was uh, – with, with NACRA, I think it – with – okay, so with NACRA, it was a little bit different just because we had already kind of been there. But before we got there, I think what happened is we had kind of a mentality change – we knew that, you know, we're all guys that are just working, you know, outside of me, I was the closest thing to like a scholarship athlete there. You know, I was just doing part-time jobs or whatever, you know, right. if a job said you have to work Tuesday nights, I was like, Oh, sorry, that's not happening. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, but we had, you know, engineers, lawyers, doctors, you know, just like every other club in the country. And I think just kind of what ended up happening is as a group, we were, everybody kind of had had their mindset on, I'm going to say, I can't remember the exact year. Maybe it's a 2009 class from LSU. Yeah. And, and for I, those guys that don't know, yeah, kids from New Orleans don't go far. Yeah, they go to LSU. LSU. Yeah. They, they, they've summer vacation in, in Baton Rouge for four years, and then they come right back home. <laughs> and it's the, it's the oddest thing in the world. But every one of them does it. So we kind of knew these guys were going to come back. Right. And so we knew, like, you get some Bobby Johns and some of those guys, and – it was kind of like, okay, like we're going we're gonna to actually give this a shot. Like we're going to put this together. And it took the older guys, you know, guys my age and a few guys older than me to kind of sit there and say, one, we're going to play anybody anywhere. So we started hosting the Australian teams that came. Right. Uh, we hosted UIC. Um, and then we just kind of said, okay, like we're going to work out a lot. And we're going to treat it like we're not getting paid to play, but we're going to – you know, treat we're it like find a professional a way to, setting. Yeah, treat it like our sport. And a lot of it was because some of us were getting recognition. So it was kind of like, you know, guys were making Atlanta sevens. Um, we had good size in our forward pack. And then we had some guys, like we had some really key guys from Mississippi uh, that would drive into New Orleans to, to come to practice and play. Um, and we had some, some guys that just – because you know, New Orleans is such an engineering hub that there was yeah. just a lot of engineers that would come in and they turned out to be pretty good at rugby. Mm -hmm. And so – 
we just kind of ran with it with about 40, 50. And then we got up to 60 guys. And it was, you know, we had local boys. We had guys, you know, we had guys that just happened to be in New Orleans. You know, I was about the closest thing to a guy that, that came in. And, and, um, and then, you know, there'd be a few guys that, would, that wanted to come to New Orleans to live the life or they wanted to come to New Orleans to <laughs> they saw a Mardi Gras show and they were like, yeah. I want to go do that. Yeah. Or they'd like intern with an engineering firm. I mean, right. most of it was engineering. And then some guys would maybe they'd work for a law firm or something. For some reason, rugby players and lawyers go hand in hand. And, <laughs> and we just, we were, I mean, we were, <laughs> yeah, I, I looked at a good, I mean, I looked at a picture of that team, you know, and I'm, I'm about six foot six, one, you know, six, three in your program. And I'm, probably one of the shortest forwards yeah like and i mean we had guys that were you know we had a division one you know he played o-line for Ole miss he was in our two row and we had a guy who probably could have played at a super high level but he was you know he was a professional he had a job he he didn't care but it was yeah so then going from that then we just kept it running once you get that train running it's going and luckily mlr came at the right time or i think it might have it might have fallen off I think I think New Orleans faded a little because I think there was like uh, there became a, a drop off from those '09 LSU kids, and we started seeing they started going into their professional lines and getting married, and then the kids that came that would be the 2011-2012 offshoots. I think this is where the the shake kind of started to come in, and there, there were the professional run started popping oh, up yeah. with pro rugby first, and then subsequently and well, probably the most exciting try from that NAS championship game, you know, was scored by a kid who played at ULL. Right. You know, he was a running back who was too small at, at Rummel and he, you know, he played rugby at ULL and, and he just loved it. And I mean, so, and then we were starting to get recognition and then USA South, you know, them saying that they wanted to do NACRA was huge uh, for us. You know, it made us feel like, you know, someone's going to come look at us because back then to get looked at, if you wanted any shot of, national team or anything like that you had to make the sweet 16 or go further like no coach was coming to watch new orleans play baton rouge they were coming to watch usa sweet 16 and there so you had to get to that level and so that's doing that uh was big i mean you know some of us had kids but a lot of us didn't a lot of us weren't married you know (laughs) we enjoyed beer a lot (laughs) <laughs> quite a, quite a, I feel like that was going to end up happening regardless of rugby or not. Yeah. But, you know, the, the compilement of the New Orleans and rugbyness kind of added. Yeah. <laughs> we enjoy, and, I mean, it was, it, was, it was a community of it. And then that, that big group, that 2011 group and the 2012 yeah. D3 team, when those guys step away, that was the most interesting thing because when all of us kind of stepped back from rugby – it was interesting to see how rugby changed in new Orleans. Like it, it, we had just, just NORFC, which still exists. Um, and then, but even before MLR started, I mean, we had, then you enter the Rob Markell cup. And so now we've got our own league with our own rules that we don't need USA rugby for the pro or anything. Now, as long as we can find refs, we can play, you know, Baton Rouge versus crew and crew versus po' boys and po' boys versus, you know, like, so, when that happened, that's when you knew New Orleans rugby was set. I mean, there's probably more rugby players now. I mean, at one point in time, 2011, 2012, we were the largest club in the country. I think we had 125 SIPT members. Um, and I bet you there's more rugby players in New Orleans now than there ever was. I believe it. I believe it just because there's just so much more variation in the, the way. But it is still, like you said, it, it's, it's interesting where it's gone. And now, to the effect of what's happened with MLR, 
you know, it's, I think it's always really interesting being able to watch something from the beginning to the end, beginning to the present. And so I always, in my mind, MLR is just the offshoot of what you guys were doing in 2011, 2012. Obviously, as to, to obviously new players coming in, but I'm talking about the core group of people is basically off that, that offshoot, that, that concept, that those people that were involved in that. So even for you, like, well, let me put it like this. Whenever it was created, and I was like, oh, these are guys I know, and you're getting to see a little bit more behind the scenes of it, as opposed to, like, I think a lot of people have this, obviously, look at it from a fan view or look at it from a, a, um, an uncertain look, uh, you know, a, 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 a doubter's view, whatever, from the outside in. And I'm, like, looking at it from the out, inside out a little bit more, and it's like, okay, like, I get this. Like, I, I get this a lot more. And don't, don't get me wrong. I was suspicious of MLR after the pro rugby stuff. But it was – there was – yeah. Well, I think financially what happened is MLR's kind of got it right. And it, and the one thing is, like, it's it's up to the – everything else that had been started, rugby and soccer, you could really throw into that, had been if the league succeeds, you succeed. Right. And now it's like we're going to put it on you guys. So we're kind of skipping – you know, I would say if you had to guess where we are in the MLR circuit, we're kind of put in, to put it in NFL terms, we haven't gotten the first Super Bowl yet. We're still kind of figuring it out. Guys are still, you know, quote unquote, you know, like, you know, working side jobs. They're not getting paid a ton of money. Right. You know, they're just kind of the still 70s, doing basically. Yeah. 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 And so it's, we're, we're pretty far back. But that was when MLR started, that was one of the big things. You had to have a tie into a club essentially because you had to fill your roster. Right. So, that's kind of why New Orleans got into it because that was a big thing with the guys. Like, so Tim Falcons, the owner, that was a big thing with his group of New Orleans guys. Was that he said, We've always had really good rugby players in New Orleans. We've always had, you know, guys that have made Eagles. We've had guys that have been all Americans, but we just kind of get overlooked because we're in the South and, you know, they don't travel to come see us and we don't necessarily want to travel to go to the things that they go to. So, you know, he said when MLR, I mean, he pretty much just said, you know, New Orleans is not getting forgotten. And it was a perfect storm. Yeah. Had MLR started, MLR started before I got to New Orleans, you know, before Katrina, I don't think New Orleans has a team. I just don't think they're going to say there's not enough rugby there. And now because of what we had been through and, you know, we had really, we had old boys from the seventies and eighties and nineties that just sat there and said, look, what do you need? You know, if we've got a kid that can't make ends meet, we'll make sure he gets, you know, he keeps a roof over his head. I think um, that's, and, that's one thing that I think you guys have probably held stronger than any other uh, program here in Louisiana, especially, was the depth of the alumni network. It, it was one thing that was about Baton Rouge that always bothered me was that it, there was not a, uh, a no, like people, there was a history to it. Like, obviously, we know there's a history to it, but it wasn't very well known. It wasn't an interactive history. It was kind of just like, Every once in a while, stories here and here, and a, a, a sparse person might pop in and out, but it was never a cohesive measure where it was like, oh, this is who we're following behind. Oh, this is who we're seeing. It was just, oh, crazy story, crazy story. I don't know where any of these guys are, but okay, crazy story. <laughs> yeah, you only see them at like the banquet at the end of the year. No, not even that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, it's a trouble. It's a problem ever. I think, you know, before the black success, the Reds had the largest team in the country of like 115 SIFT members. Yeah. But their alumni donations are like nothing. And it's, you know, it's, it's hard to do because you, you know, some people say you should just do it because of what the club gave you. And it's like, well, I understand that, but what is the club giving me now? Like, now, right. 
yeah, you know, do, can my kids come hang out? You know, and I think that's what New Orleans and Baton Rouge really had going for them is that, you know, when you went to show up for rugby, you knew, you know, you went to the one field, that's where you went to watch rugby and somebody had a pot going with gumbo and somebody, you know, had, had dirty rice going and somebody, you know, beers were going to be going everywhere. And you know, you'd make a day of it. I'll give them for both of it. Yeah. So, and I think that was just kind of a thing, you know, Atlanta used to kind of be the same way. I think it was just kind of a South thing even. Um, Whereas, you know, everyone's a little bit more tight lipped outside of Louisiana. This is true. This is true. To go cups haven't been a thing. Say what? To go cups just became a thing in Dallas because of COVID. Look, you know, you know, (laughs) look, look, look. This is what I say on this. Louisiana's last on so many things. Let us be first on alcoholism, all right? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. Is MLR going in the right direction? I don't know. I have no idea. You know, I think there's kind of there's like, some things to it. There's some things not to it. I think and look, I, I I think there's there's enough there. I will always say the one thing that will bother me about MLR, and if, every time I look at MLR, the only thing I care about is what they do from a marketing standpoint. This is it. Because I think from an on-field standpoint, you obviously have to have a natural progression of development. But I think even more importantly, you have to give it a chance to, to be able to develop. And I think that they've been doing that. Even if these signings might be sparse in usage, but it's, it's still something. I give them credit. My issue is, yo, I need to know who are the faces of the league. Just like if I look at the NFL, if I look at the NBA, I go, when I think NBA, who am I thinking of? LeBron, uh, Giannis. Kawhi, you know, whatever. If I think NFL, I go Drew, Tom Brady, uh, 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 you know, Aaron Rodgers. But but when I go MLR, and regardless of whether I'm watching it or not, when I go MLR, I don't. I might have a regional because I know who to look for. But there's nobody that I go. There's this. Like there's just oh, there's a big name, but I don't consider them as MLR. I consider them as a piece that's adding into lifting it. But I just want to know who's the face. You know, Tyler Howden, sort of. Is is it? You know, what's that? Because I think that will change how people can attach. It makes it simpler for them. I think it's going to be big. I think ESPN Plus has been a big thing. Um, but I, you know, I think they're still kind of treating it like that NFL in the '60s and '70s, where it's very regionalized. You know, I think yeah. every team kind of has. You know, they get on their local news broadcasts and they do stuff like that. And I think you're right. You know, I think. You know, Seattle doesn't necessarily have a face of their team, but they've kind of made their team um, kind of a part of of the culture there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and so for them, I think that's why they're having. I mean, now they had a huge following anyway, and, and you know, but uh, but I think it's it's still kind of you know, what's Dallas going to do? Like, I have no idea what Dallas is going to do. You know, the Jackals with a terrible <laughs> color scheme, by the way. But uh, it's just a terrible. It's just got <laughs> anyway. It's. <laughs> I, I'm not even drinking, guys. This, this, um, it's, you know, the, the jackals, and, and it's funny. Like the colors every, make me drunk on its own. <laughs> oh, God, this makes me angry. But, like, the, uh, the color. Guilty, brother. It could be guilty. Uh, they, uh, but, like, every team's kind of handling it differently. Like, so New Orleans is, is kind of, they've, they've grown the local game. They're still kind of playing the USA game, too. Like, they're like, okay, we will have a team of guys that maybe don't make our roster that will play in USA rugby. So we're kind of giving back to USA rugby that way. You know, Houston said, we're going to try to make it as professional as possible. We're going to build a stadium. We're going to do that. Austin, the, you know, what, what, anybody want to take a shot at pronouncing that? The Gilgronies? Gilgronies. They better get some money. Gil, give me some money. They, uh, (laughs) 
but they, you know, they did the same thing. They said, okay, we're going to try to make this as professional as possible. And they're pretty active. You know, Houston and Austin have pretty much said, we're going to leave our bubble, just Houston and Austin. Um, And then New Orleans has kind of said, you know, I think New Orleans is is interesting because they have a lot of free range. I think, you know, they could really get out there. I think it's it's equally difficult for them. You know, they've got to go out and find these kids. But right now it's kind of like, you know, if you want to get in the MLR, send me your tape. Right. Like, I think the thing that's going to be interesting with New Orleans, and I think it's advantageous, it's the LSU effect. And what I mean by that is how LSU was able to be such a powerful school in football is because basically the state is able to lock itself up for the most part, and it doesn't have any natural rivals. So it's just, hey, look, keep these guys, and then we'll pull people in from outside. I think New Orleans, as New Orleans gold, had that same effect. And, you know, I'll give credit to Ryan and, and, and Tim even contacting me about these things. But, like, if uh, – if, um, you know, if, if they're able to develop the talent, because we already know the South is already overrun with athletic talent and there's intellectual talent as well. And you're kind of trying to traverse them into this rugby field. So now it's changing up the way that we're looking at rugby and how we're present, messaging it out so it can get into more open arenas, whether from the youth side and then obviously from the university side then all New Orleans has to do is just pick and choose from its own area as opposed to have to go and recruit from over here and go recruit from over here. You're like, it's creating the feeder system. And so I think to some extent, while it, it, it goes back to that, it's that old, archaic, regionalized version. But for where it is right now, I think it can work. I think it can that's, yeah. That's kind of how Super Rugby started, though. Right. You know, like the Crusaders were just the regional team. You know, and it was like you grew up in Christchurch. You played for them. Like that's that's who you played for. You know, like the the um, like I think Bowden Barrett's brother. You know, like he's playing for the Hurricanes right now, and his contract's about to come up. But the Hurricanes were like his system that he grew up in. Right. And then he just happened. He played for the Crusaders for like a second, and he just had two like phenomenal years. So there's a there's talk about will he uh, will he go back there? But they had to get to that point where contracted players could move, and it was more. You know, they kind of took a soccer aspect of it where it's like, if I get a 16-year-old a shot, you know, at, you know, I'm getting him for cheap, but he's going to stay here. So it's kind of like, you know, I tell this kid, because I've always wondered this, you, because you do this, you do small college rugby and stuff. And so I, I, I think kind of outside the box on this stuff. Imagine if, okay, imagine if, because I think this MLR draft thing is, is not ready yet. I think it's a good idea. I think it's working, but it's just kind of a whatever. Still early. Imagine, yeah. Imagine this. Imagine if national small school rugby, right? Mm-hmm. Imagine if every call, every MLR team could make an academy, and they just picked one of those small colleges to be their academy, and so the kids can get scholarships because it's being funded through MLR, you know, right. or partial scholarships, whatever. And they play the fall NSRCO, whatever. They they play. NSCRO. They play the, the fall well, season. NCR now. I need you to catch yeah, up with no. their rebranding. Whoa. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. All right. So they, they play they play in the National Small Schools League in the fall. Right. And then in the spring, they're just with whatever the development league is for MLR. Right. And so whether that's in New Orleans, it's a Division Two men's team. But maybe it's, you know, hey, you just practice with the team. But, and, you know, then you get kids that now you're getting kids, you can tell a high school kid that you think is really good. Hey, I want you to go to Loyola and you're going to go to Loyola, New Orleans. And that's our feeder team. You know, our, one of our players is the head coach. You know, one of our, 
you know, we'll handle, you know, here's how much we can offer you in scholarship. Right. Um, you know, and then we can, we'll take it from there, but you're going to sign this thing that says, you know, we pretty much, with us. yeah, we own your rights, you know, for two years after you graduate from college. Right. Basically working to the army, the army, the army, uh, methodology. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I think set. it's, I think it's a good idea. As long as it's able to fulfill its dues in terms of payments, it does create a value system because look, essentially what all universities are, all university football programs are, our academies for the pros is that they don't have to pay for it. It's, it's self-funded. So to be able to do and have that start off, it, it doesn't even have to say like you have to go to this school, but if you kick it off and show that there is a viable uh, process to it, it can be moved from others, moved to other schools. Like we're trying to do that without like trying to do that with the HBCUs and we're trying to do that with Southern University. Um, and I'm gonna let you go in a second because I don't want you to. Be I still got, I got, I got time. You, you hush your mouth. But I meant, to, so I meant to ask you this about this because imagine this. I talked to this. So I told you about some players that I coached in football that are big time players. Right. How, and and just to go off on a tangent, how do you feel about that class of 2022 or whatever basketball player that said I'm gonna go to Howard? I look. I'm. I'm you told Duke, before. forget I'm, you. North Carolina, forget you. I'm gonna go to an HBCU. This is my shot to make a make a look. statement. I am, I am such an advocate for these kids to be able to go to this. And, and for whatever reason, but I like the fact that, look, let's get to these HBCUs. Okay, so here's, here's what I, I learned. And typically, it just is kind of black faux pas. I'm not supposed to open up the doorways, but it's all good. Right? From, I'll, I'll, I'll step, step into the seat, you know, just for you, man. Just for you. <laughs> but, no, I think the issue that will always come down to it is I am much more concerned about making sure that the, the HBCUs get the support because when these kids start coming in, it's not the kids that are going to be the big changing piece, right? The, what happens is it's the alumni network that has to start getting invigorated from this. And that's what makes it such a big deal for these kids to be able to go to it. So I want them to come, like, to be honest with you, most of them, like the HBCU environment is probably as great. And it's not, and the funny thing is it's not just for black people. So, it's, it works for everybody, right? I, I know. I've got two white friends that went to law school at Southern. I said, exactly. oh, really? <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I was like, and what fraternity did you join? <laughs> no, but I think, like, because I talked to my that kid. I told him, I said, so when he was at one of his All-American camps, I was like, so imagine, Bill Simmons came up with this. It's like, imagine if you convinced, if you convinced the top you know, three players in each position to just pick an HBCU and go. Yeah, Nike's coming. Like Nike's going to follow. That's and true. they're going to write and that's, a big That's check. what changes the game. That's that's all that you need because I, what I think a lot of people don't even realize is how little the endowments for a lot of these outside of like look outside of Howard Morehouse and North Carolina and no no Howard Morehouse and Spelman. These are basically the three biggest HBCUs, and they get all the attention, almost all the attention, consequently. There is 119 HBCUs that are out there, and almost out of that, three usually get it. So if it spreads to anything else, a North Carolina A&T, a Southern, Grambling, Alabama A&M, Texas Southern, uh, Prairie View A&M, any one of these other ones, you start changing the perception of it, and now as they get more money, it, it does make everything more equivalent. And I, I think it, it makes things more even across the board, but it really is about drawing in that money. Like it, so even though I, that money. 
so even though I went off on that tangent, and I just wanted to stir your pot a little bit, the reason I was saying is because uh, in football, you know, just like you were saying, you know, football kind of takes care of itself. You know, I, I don't know if most people should know this, but, you know, that there's – you know, Bear Bryant used to make it a point that he played, you know, like ULL or something, you know, yeah. and he knew – or like Alabama State. Uh, and he knew that, like, the reason he played them – now, he used to go there. Um, they don't do that anymore. But now, yeah. you know, he, they used to play them because they knew that if these teams are going to exist, like, that game supports the entire athletic department. Like, that right. one game. You know, like, so, if you know, if I'm, you know, teeny tiny school USA and I go play LSU for – they're going to give me $2 million. You know, I'm going to go get stomped by 80 points. However, I'm going to make money so that the women's – yeah, the women's volleyball team exists. Yep. The men's volleyball team exists. You know, so – and what I think is that in rugby, that doesn't exist. We don't have that. So that's why I think – and USA Soccer did the same thing is they've – you know, USA – because of COVID, you, USA Soccer has you know, gotten rid of the, the academy system that they had because mm. it's just not financially stable. And they, they've turned it over to the MLS teams and said, look, you guys got to figure this out. Like you've got you – know, you decide what you do. And I would be interested because I guarantee – let's just say – let's say in the next six months – Let's say next six months, uh, Nola Gold's the only team that does this, and they say, "Hey, you know, we're giving out ten thousand or fifteen thousand dollars scholarships right. um, to Loyola New Orleans or Tulane, and right. and you're going to play there, and the head coach is going to be this new, you know, the guy that they just named the new like youth director or whatever. And if you did that, I guarantee you, I have twenty two seniors in my class here at Jesuit." I bet you you could convince 10 of them to go. Easy. Yeah, like, without even thinking twice. Without thinking like, about it, right. Yeah. And even if you just said, like, you might get a scholarship, they'd be like, okay, I'll go anyway. Right. No, and I, I agree with you on that one. I, I think, it, again, it's value proposition. It's one thing that's, why I yeah. – look, one thing – and I, I talked with uh, just another person. Her name is Farrah Douglas, and, and she, she's the head coach for Mount St. Mary's. And it wasn't until I talked to her that I considered it. But for me – one of the things that I, I was like, yo, is it possible that we can cre put these rugby teams, especially in these collegiate areas, without having to touch the NCAA? So essentially being able to have the rights and licensing to utilize the name and monetize the university name or, or be able to do that, but not have to be under the regulation of the NCAA, which means you have a further breadth. Because I think the thing that differs between now and whenever Bear Bryant, and I mean, honestly, we still do it to this day, the reason why all these small schools will come in and get walloped is because at the time it was a much harder system of being able to generate money. You're basically either in crowd, in crowd purchase, and then whatever is comes from government, government money uh, for, for school funding. So, and, but now in this era, we have this digital, you know, methodology, we have a digital method of being able to do it. So the fandom does not have to be limited to what's happening in the region, but it can be limited, but, and the sales subsequently can come from all these different places from merchandise, even licensing. Now you can self broadcast your stuff. And uh, even if you need to put it onto another platform, a YouTube is the equivalent of being on ESPN. It might not be in terms of prestige, but it is in terms of access to audience. Cause I consider ESPN now just a, it's, it's a name, not that it's a bad company, but it's, it's a name. But if you have these university programs that are now actually altered to work to create value for the community, not simply just be a team to come into, but legitimately like, hey, connect us with the rest of the world. Boom, boom, boom. 
then now you can actually have these teams be able to self be self-sufficient and be in proper academy maybe for these MLR teams because that's what I think the biggest advantage of MLR is is you now have this credible revenue system. It's not much of one because they're still early, but it's there. There's something you can build on. But if you can do that and have these university teams take care of themselves, and you know it's only going to be a staunch view because not everybody's going to put in the time, but then you're going to see that development. And then now you start to see a much higher development of the talent or a much greater transitioning of that talent. So it's those high school kids. Now those kids are going into the high school and like, okay, now we have something that's for real that we can alternative, uh, we can move alternatively to. And then on the other hand, it's now these universities can say, hey, university, we're self-sufficient. We're also going to be doing uh, recruiting for you in essence. And so you can either support us or we're going to just continue to do what we do. One way or another, it, it, it works partnership-wise. Yeah, and I don't think, I don't think you know, USA Rugby is going to mess – or I don't think NCAA is going to mess with us just because Title IX just kind of – I mean, I know for – Not going to mess with uh, us for now. Because <laughs> I, I told – well, with, I told – I mean, well, now the teams are – you know, hell, Stanford had to drop 11 sports. But now, uh, like, I, we at OU, we were fighting for the women's team to get varsity um, – yeah. to get varsity status – you know, just so, I mean, we would, by proxy, get status, to, like, get access to things, even though they were the varsity team, right. um, like, you know, doing the, the different weight rooms and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, as long as Title IX exists, you know, we're the best sport because we can be split up even. You know, right. you could say men's team gets five scholarships, you know, women's team gets five scholarships. Nice. Goodbye. And it's like, we get – and so – I think what, what's great with some of these academy ideas is that some of these colleges, you know, one, they need kids and this yeah. would bring a ton of kids. I mean, even if you just said, Hey, like, we just want you to be like, think of the, like right now I tell my seniors, I was like, okay, you have to decide how far you want to go with rugby, you know, and you can go to a traditional powerhouse where you can play in a D one, a schedule. That's fine. Yeah, you know, just realize who you're going to be competing with. You want to go to an Arizona or St. Mary's or Cal or anything like that. Like that's fine. The other thing you have to do, you have to think of is, how can you get in the closest proximity to an MLR team? Yeah. Because they, they were going to have to see you and that's your fastest way to get signed. And it's going to be a cheap contract. It's not going to make you millions of dollars, but you're going to get to see what professional rugby is like. And maybe then after that, it's still kind of, you know, do you go overseas? Do you knock overseas or do you play, you know, here in the U S or whatever? Right. And I think that's, you know, it's the way it's kind of always been. And I think, it, you know, it's better than what the, the prospects used to be. Good luck. Go over, find, fly yourself overseas, you know, with a backpack and hope it works. Bring your boots, find a field. Uh, and, and Tuesdays and Thursdays, they'll be there. That's, <laughs> that's totally, if all, all rugby people know, if you find a field with goalposts, go there on a Tuesday or Thursday, they will practice. They might practice other days, but they will always practice Tuesdays. Tuesdays and Thursdays. <laughs> always. But I mean, I, I think that's, it's, it's too much to consider some of these teams. Now, some of these teams, you know, the, the heart of like Louisiana rugby is in new Orleans. Yeah. So like all their meetings are there. So it's right. kind of like, okay, we can get somebody on that board really easily, you know, whereas, you know, TRU here in Texas, you know, we've got four cities that are pretty much hotbeds, really three, uh, three major ones. Um, and they're all three or four hours. Yeah. And they're all three or four hours away from each other, you know? Right. So, you know, that's, that's going to be tough, but everybody has this idea of like, we have to do this. We have to, do this. it's like, you know, we're, we're going to grow the sport, you know, grow rugby, just like gifts us. And <laughs> we've got, you know, we've got to find yeah, <laughs> message. And find, so like, like lacrosse in, in Texas is huge right now. 
Okay. Yeah. Like, so I've got kids, I'm coaching football right now and I've got kids who, you know, I'm like, Hey, you should really try rugby. And they're like, I already played lacrosse. I've been playing lacrosse for seven years. And, and just, I want you to wrap your head around this. If you want to hear about a subtle flex, here's a subtle, not even a flex. This is just my mind blown. Okay. We played football in the last two years. We get redistrict every two years. The last two years we were in a district. It's the largest athletic district in the country. Right. Okay. We played high school football, high school football in a $68 million stadium, a $75 million stadium three times. We played in a $25 million stadium that was built in the eighties. And we've, and another team from that district just finished building a $55 million stadium. And so what lacrosse did is they said, we're going to hold our state championships at these giant stadiums. Like, so even though it's going to be empty, we're going to play there because the kids will think it's really cool. And we'll do like a, almost like a jamboree style, you know, we'll go sixth grade through 12th grade. We're all going to play there. And so that's kind of what we're trying to do with the private schools, at least right now in Texas is, you know, how can we either play with where the Sabercats play or can we play in, you know, Katie's got an $85 million stadium. Can we play there? Or, you know, McKinney's got this one now. And so it's, you know, I, everyone thought my stadium's awesome. I've got this little bitty stadium that the naming rights for my stadium were sold for $5,000 in like 1982. So it's, you know, it's still an aluminum stadium, just like, you know, but I shouldn't complain in new Orleans. There are no stadiums. Like everybody plays in one big stadium and you could play, you know, at nine in the morning or 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> play. What, what, oh my God. What is you it called? Sunday. Uh, airline state airline. Field yeah. or whatever the heck it's <laughs> the shrine on airline. Get your stuff. Right. Jeez. Grow rugby. My, my, bad. Ass. my bad. You know, <laughs> it's only in your state. It's like, you know, it's not like you have to go far. Look, look, it will always, it'll always be, oh, man, that's that field that's on the left as I drive by on, yeah. on, on, on uh, I-10. I, yeah, I entered on the South Airport, so I got to see. I got to see, the see it as I pass by. All right, cool. <laughs> like, you know, it's going to be, uh, it's, it's going to be interesting. I think, you know, you, you like your marketing, you know, because you like, you love, like, I just want everyone to know how much you love the New England Free Jacks. You know, then, oh really? <laughs> yeah, and they love. This is what we do. Don't talk about my free jacks. <laughs> you dirty rat, Bastin, Bastin for life. Okay, Bastin for life. Okay, go socks, go free jacks. Tom Brady. Tom Brady's the, the god. He's the god. He can impregnate me tomorrow. I don't care. All right, I got I got a question for you, Gift. Are you ready? Right, I'm gonna ask you. This is how I end my podcast with my seniors. So I'm gonna ask, what's your favorite? Uh, food? By hijacking other people's podcasts. I see what you do. Yeah, I, I just hijacked it. I just <laughs> I did it. What's your What's your favorite food? What's my favorite what? Food. My favorite food? Burgers, baby. Gross. What's your least favorite food? Um, probably mac and cheese. What? Shut up. You're the worst. Favorite rugby player of all time. Favorite rugby player of all time. Um, until I read his book, and I'm gonna pretend like I didn't do, like I didn't read it because it was so boring. Richie McCaw. But I just his book was just so boring. Ah, <laughs> uh, he's like the greatest. You're the worst. No, no, he's yeah. a good person. He's just not really interesting of a person. And he's in his book. too busy being the greatest of all time. <laughs> 
He's too busy being that good. I don't know if you're – did you watch the Michael Jordan documentary? He didn't think of a whole lot outside of basketball. But look, look, he didn't think about a whole lot outside of basketball, but he had a personality. Now, mind you, I'm going to blame New Zealand. Most people didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> but it was awesome. But you remember it. You're just like, look, I might hate you, but I feel. Richie's like, hey, you're great on the field, but you're kind of just like – Purposely boring, so you're you know. purposely boring. <laughs> yeah, that is. Uh, I'm trying to see when. Yeah, that is. Uh, that is definitely. Uh, you know, it was. It was not that bad. It was not that. It, I mean, I, I love Eddie Jones's book was significantly better, which I was surprised by. Uh, but it I was. I'm not surprised not. by it because of the fact that I. I feel like he's able to, because of how good of a coach he is, he has to have impeccable communication. Like, he has to be able to present the picture much better. Like, look, I don't blame Richie McCaw for being boring. I actually understand it because of the society that he's in. You cannot be exciting. It gets shamed. That being yes. said, <laughs> you know, it doesn't mean that I have to not call out what – even his movie, that Chasing Great was eh. – <laughs> I don't know if that was necessarily his fault. I mean, the Dan Carter one, it was on YouTube for like a day, and I found it and I watched it. And it, it wasn't it, – it really wasn't that great. And I was like, God, how do you turn, you know, a career like that into this? Into, yeah, into just this kind of like, eh, he played rugby a little bit. He was all right. New Zealand film board. This is what I just said. Uh, New Zealand film uh, board. It's unbelievable. <laughs> so you, I'm going to give you the inside track. I just want you to know what we're working on right now so okay. that everybody knows. We are working on, because we're not sure what USA Rugby is going to do with all this COVID stuff. We are working currently on a, like, Texas, Louisiana, you know, kind of high school rugby tournament style kind of season. I've been hearing some things. Some yes. Some have been telling me some things about this. Yes. that We're looking at, uh, you know, like, mostly the private schools all playing together um, and, and playing against each other. And just kind of, I think the three teams in Houston, us, and then the two or three teams in Louisiana. So basically, New Orleans versus uh, everybody else. Well, in Dallas, I'm the only team in Dallas. I'm the only private school in Dallas. So New Orleans versus everybody else. <laughs> oh yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> See how that works. They've, we've had some good ones. We've had some. I mean, there have been some legit. It, it's been interesting. I can't catch a break anywhere because you you said like you know what was some of those the big things. Um, kind of after all those years, like with NACRA and with New Orleans and then Dallas. And, and I, uh, the one thing it did is it cut my rugby career probably, I think, as short as possible. Yeah. Um, I might still be playing, you know, but, I, I mean, we played. I, I think there was – I didn't make – after the 2008 season, we didn't make the, the South playoffs or we didn't go past the South playoffs. That was the last time I didn't play rugby in May or June for the next, like, decade. Right. And you so it was, down. You, you play pretty uh, much play like thir 12, 13 years of rugby within a really honestly seven to eight year period. And even though push even more a decade. So, Oh, and it was brutal. I mean, like, I think that year when we traveled that far, we did Atlanta three or four times. We played Tampa crew, I think somewhere in Florida that was in the South championships were like, I think somewhere in Florida that year. And then our round of the Sweet 16 was in Virginia. And then we went to Colorado for the Final Four. And, I mean, it was – and then, like, one year at the Reds, 
uh, I wasn't on the east side of the bracket anymore. I was on the west side. So we went to, I think San Francisco was one of our rounds. <laughs> and so, you know, it was like, so we went to, we got lucky. We got, a, we got a round in Texas. So we went to like Austin, then we went to San Francisco, and then, uh, and then Glendale. Yeah, I can understand that. All right, let's close up this podcast because we got that's just just moving around. I want a part. I want a part two. That's <laughs> why I got a meeting, but I want a part two. Oh, we'll get a I part be two. Asked back. <laughs> so everyone, hit that like and subscribe right now, so that you make gifts bring me back, and <laughs> we can get you? into some deep stuff. Yeah, Look, subscribe to the podcast. Download. All you got to do is just give it to all your students and be like, you are mandatory to have to. Uh, listen to this all the way through and just push the numbers all the way up and then we're good. We're good. Yeah, just hit play. You can put your phone somewhere else. I don't care if you actually listen to it. Just get that play count up. You know, and then I'm going to start putting my little my little anchor things on there and, you know, I get 15 cents for every thousand listens and, uh, you know, that's how we monetize this stuff. Hey, I'm here for this. I'm here for this. And then I just want to be on the Jesuit Rugby Podcast. Even though I have nothing to do with Jesuit. My but. next rugby po- – I have to think about what's my next thing. I don't know. The rugby podcast was just because of COVID, so we weren't able to have our banquet or finish our season. So it was just for COVID. Because um, what I, I always wanted to do – and I told you about this. I'd always wanted to do kind of a, a high school rugby slash, you know, college rugby podcast to where, you know, I, I think it's an untapped market, especially with yeah. the our draft stuff. Because oh, yeah. you do have guys coming from – not necessarily programs that you've never heard of, but coming from non-traditional programs Yes, um, where you can, you know, and now it's like, okay, we can see. And, and I really think that college rugby has gotten significantly more regionalized, which will make it easier to cover. Like there's the, you know, like I think at OU, you know, we played everywhere, you know, like and I think it's just that's where OU yeah. playing in now. Yeah. yeah. Now, now everybody's in, you know, Red River conference, you know, one time, LSU was in like the SEC, like they just kind of followed around and played this, you know, the same schedule that the football team played and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, now it's significantly more regionalized and just getting to those areas. Because I think what I mean, what happened? We have one, two, three. We have four MLR teams within an, a circle, yeah. yeah, within two states and 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 a and a college rugby conference that exists in those states, yeah, and only in those states. So now it's like okay. How do, how does this not you know like a hotbed of of just kind of activity you know and and how do we kind of grow that and the same thing with high school with high school I think high school rugby is huge. No, I I'll give it this. I, I didn't realize how impactful high school rugby had gotten until maybe last year because I'd purposely kind of been ignoring it because I was like it's I don't I just don't I don't see there's enough here. But no no it's hot now it's hot. Oh God. Oh yeah, this is. I tell my kids, this is until you go to the pros. This will be the most professional team you play for. You know, we've got. You know, we take our charter buses and we. You know, I've got curfews and stuff. Until you get them working with Billy Nicholas and Josh Macy and Lindenwood or Colton Carriega over at Life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Until that happens, and Rob, most of my kids. Most of my kids don't. That's the difference. See, the difference between this group and this is what I think is the biggest difference. The difference between this group and like our age group, when we played rugby, you know, late nineties, two thousands, we would go anywhere to play and we would essentially put our life on hold. These guys, you know, college has been beat into their head for so long that they will play rugby as long as it fits in their life's, their life goal. So yeah. So it's like, you know, um, 
uh, I think A&M is going to start getting bigger and bigger because guys want to be engineers. And so it's like, as long as I can get into A&M, I'll play rugby. Like I've sent, you know, four or five guys this year to A&M. Nice. But so it's a little bit different than like, you know, you know, like I, I only get one or two guys that are like, I'll go anywhere. Like, I don't care. I just want to play. You know, it's like, okay, well, let's find the best school you can play at or let's find in you know, the best place you can play at. Cause now it's kind of like, you know, I would have, hell, I'd almost taken a gap. One of my assistant coaches did take a gap year, you know, and he went and played in New Zealand and then came back and played. That's so good. it's, it's a different aspect, you know, like, and, and it's a different kind of mentality of it, but we've, it, it'll work. That's why I think kind of MLR can work is because, you know, can you pay a kid enough to where he doesn't have to worry about his jobs? If that you can do that. Idea. Yeah. If you that can do that and it does it, not a lot, you know, it's not a lot. It's just enough. Can I live? Can I live? Live comfortably? If you pay for my travel, it definitely didn't have to be a lot of money. Right. And then, you know, maybe you have a connection. So maybe if I'm, you know, an engineer, you know, or a lawyer or something, you know, different teams offer me different things. You know, so, you know, me getting to New Orleans, be like, okay, well, if I'm a petroleum engineer, that sounds phenomenal. Like I can, you know, I'll, I'll meet people that know people. That's true. Hold on, I'm turning off the podcast. Like, I just want to turn the podcast. All right, I like I'm the going conversation. They don't need to hear anymore. We're good. Right. Thank you for coming through, bro. Come, thank you for coming through. See you on the next episode <laughs> with Matt Upton here on Grow Rugby. Yo, I hope you guys had so much fun with that. I really did too, man. Like this, this was this was really fun, uh, dude. Thank you, Matt, for taking the time. Uh, just dropping the stories, man. It was it was good to be able to resonate in that level. Uh, and guys, everybody, thank you for listening. Yo, please check out some of our other podcasts. Last week we had Freddie Henry Ajuda for uh, coming out of Life University in Nigeria. Uh, we had Derek Lipskin out of Blue uh, Old Blues Rugby and Roots Rugby. Pat Evans from the publication Front Office Sports. We had Kelly Smith of American Rugby Pro Training Center. We had Adam Gray Hayward, uh, of star of the movie Play On. Uh, we had Jackie Finland from the Rugby Breakdown, Farrah Douglas, Rashad Lipford of North Carolina A&T, James Brunson of the Nomads, Philadelphia Nomads, Matt Provost from Prairie View A&M, Nicholas Walcott from uh, Chicago uh, Lions, uh, Chicago Griffins, uh, we had Chetta Emba, Naya Tapper, uh, Blaine Scully, uh, 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 just just a load, a load of people that you want to be able to go back and listen to. Charity Williams. Guys, we got some great, like, it's getting so much that even I'm starting to forget names. Not because they were bad, it's because it's just, there's so many to choose from. There's so many, so many stories, you know, Phil Field, just so much depth. Uh, and intricacy inside everybody's thoughts and it, it is a true pleasure to be able to listen to them and, and their things so guys take check it out go hear out what they have to say tell your friends about it give us a shout out and uh, I really do appreciate you guys for taking the time to uh, be with us and, and listen each week and in the meantime look you guys please stay safe I hope you stay happy I hope you guys are healthy, and I hope you guys know that you are highly favored. I will talk to you next time. Cheers.